To the end zone, he goes. Boyd with a great fake. Touchdown, Lean means touchdown throwing the team tonight, and he's got another one. Boy, to the end zone. Oh, what a Welcome to the Taj Boy Podcast. Hope all has been good and well, my friends. I'm excited for you all to listen in on this segment of the pod. This conversation is centered around something that brings joy to the whole family, the television. And for as long as I can remember, I've been fascinated by cinematography. It could be anything. Movies, TV shows, soap operas, wrestling, documentaries, doesn't matter. I love everything about it. To me, it's magic, and each show is beautiful in its own right. The script, the cast, writers, stunt doubles, visual effects, makeup, all working together to create a product for all to witness. Creating something memorable, though, is the trick, and it's tough to do. There are certain movies and shows that we can recall and recite without having seen it for a number of years, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But every now and again, and you know it when you see it, you witness a cinematic masterpiece. Something that transcends the screens and tugs at your heartstrings. You can connect with the storyline, feel like you know the characters personally, and feel triumph in their victories and anguish in their defeats. This show exists, and it's now streaming on Netflix. If you haven't already, make sure you take a note to watch Kingdom. Now, Frank Grillo is the lead actor in this, and he's leading an all-star cast, and it's absolutely captivating from start to finish. In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by the show's creator and producer, Byron Belasco. We dive into his start, his vision for the future, and the creation of the show Kingdom, and what filmmaking really means to him. But he didn't get all Hollywood on us either. He's a Georgia boy. Look, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And again, if you haven't already watched Kingdom, make sure you go and do that. It's now streaming on Netflix. Here we go. I knew I wanted to get into filmmaking. I wanted to be a writer. Didn't really have any concept of what the business was, how it worked. Didn't know anybody out here. This was also really pre-functioning internet, so it's not like there was a lot of research available. Sure. So I basically just got in a car, packed it up, and uh, drove, drove west. American dream. American dream, man. Yeah, it was fun. You know, I was only, you know, I was probably 20, 21, 22 at the time. And I was coming, you know, I grew up outside of Atlanta, so, you know, it's a city. Yeah. But it's, I'd never been to Los Angeles before. And I just thought, well, why not? I'll go out there. If it doesn't work, I'll just drive home. Yeah. Did you, and there's a lot of people um, that still have aspirations, that have hopes and dreams. And, you know, for you, um, and sometimes they're reluctant because they may not have that support from the people that are closest to them. How did your parents and the people close to you view this when you decided to make that next step? Well, they were um, they were supportive, but but uh, sort of realistic, and it, and they were certainly not going to pay my way. Yeah. Uh, so I I mean I had amazing parents who said yeah go for it. Uh, my mom's words to me where you have about as much chance of making it as a writer as you do playing in the NBA, <laughs> uh, which, you know, you're looking at me right now. You can see the choice. <laughs> That's a pretty slim possibility. Um, but my dad was like, yeah, go give it a shot. So it was like, okay, go give it a shot. You know what I mean? And so I, I just went out there with the expectation of, of, you know, it's one in a million, but, you know, t- take the shot and see what happens. 
Now, from the outside looking in, I don't know much about the industry, but I know a lot of people that do make that transition or go out that way uh, in terms of looking for uh, opportunities in the acting space. Uh, from the filmmaking space, is it very similar to that? Is it the same uh, sort of proportion where you're looking at filmmaking to actor, actresses? You know, it, it's it's the same kind of uh, it, it's it's similar. Acting's acting's a little bit of a different thing because so much of that is really out of the control of the of the actor. You yeah. know, uh, you, you essentially have to wait for somebody to let you do your work. Whereas as a writer, you can just write. Um, but in terms of odds and what you're up against, yeah, it's, it's, it's similar. I mean, you're coming in, you're moving into a city that you don't know how to penetrate, that you don't really understand how it works. And you just, you just get in there. You find, you know, I started off doing other kinds of jobs, worked at a pizza place, um, eventually got into the mailroom at a big agency which was really the big yeah. deal. I mean, the pizza place thing was you, you have to humble yourself a little bit. You know what I mean? You can't right. just be like, hey, I'm starting at the bottom because, like, I went to work at this pizza place, which I was so grateful to be able to get that job because I couldn't even get a job waiting tables. <laughs> and I was – my first day of work at this pizza place, I'm, like, reaching into this clogged, murky sink and pulling out, you know, old food and lettuce to unclog the drain. And I'm like, man – I went to college and now I'm doing the job I did when I was 15 years old at Pizza Hut. Right. Like this is just really, really humbling, but it's also doesn't matter. Work's work and you keep your eye on where you're trying to go. It's a means to an end. No, it's Uh, it's a craft, man. You know, the way through. It's a grind. It's, it's, you know, you have to, you have to just keep going, you know? And from, uh, from that standpoint, as a writer, did you always have this imagination as a kid? Like, did you, you know, create scripts um, at home? Is this something that you really started to tap into when you got to high school? You know, what started well, to, to yeah. shape your mind? It's, uh, you know, I, again, I grew up in Georgia, so it's not like Atlanta is now where there's stuff shooting in Atlanta all the time. Right. Uh, it, there wasn't much going on there at all. So I didn't really have a concept for the business or anything like that growing up. And, right. you know, I was just a regular kid into music and sports and, and, you know, whatever kids are into, um, sort of knew I like to write, but it really just wasn't something I was doing a lot. Yeah. And then it was as I started getting into college and started thinking about life and what I wanted to do and what I thought I was good at is when I really s- sort of started focusing on it. I started off as it, as a journalism major at Georgia, at UGA, and then about halfway through that, saw that they had a playwriting class in the drama department, which was very small at the time and really not much of a department. But I was like, hey, if that's a major that I can go write and not have to take math classes, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and I got into that, took a playwriting class, and realized that I was really that I was really good at it. That I had that I had. I had, I had like a knack for it and I'm very realistic about my, you know, what I'm good and what I'm not good at. And this was, writing was really the first thing in my life that, you know, somebody wasn't, somebody wasn't making me do that. I was wanting to do on my own and and enjoying that kind of hard work, you know? Well, and, you know, we'll get the kingdom here in, in, in a minute, but obviously you have 
other projects. You had other projects before this. Some succeeded, some did not. Um, you know, as you're going through those experiences, you know, winning and losing and everything else in between, I mean, you know, you're working a piece of spot, you're working a metal room, you're climbing this ladder, you know, at that point, and then being so far away from home. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a tough pill to swallow. These are tough things to work through yeah. in a, in this sense and almost period of isolation to a degree. How was that, you know, what was that like as far as facing those challenges and adversity? Uh, there were really, there were, there were hard times, you know, but no. again, I, I guess my point of view was I'm young. I got nothing to lose. Yeah. Let's do it. So I spent my time not working writing and trying to get, trying to push that forward. But you get lonely, you know, you're away from your friends, you're away from your family, you're in a new city. It takes a while to like find your people in your group. So there were definitely some dark, dark nights of the soul and some times where you wonder, okay, how long am I going to keep trying to do this? Um, and then, and then it ha- then it happened. Then I got my first paid writing job, and it sort of felt like it took forever, but in reality, it didn't take long. It, I, I think I was out here about four and a half years before I got my first professional writing job, but that's that's a very short period of time. I got lucky, but when you're living those four years, it feels like forever. Sure. You know? And then once you're in, you know, there's been many times over the course of my career where like something was supposed to go or something was supposed to get huge or something was supposed to happen and then it didn't. And it feels really bad when that happens. But I look back and realize, well, if that would have happened for me when I was 22 or 25, mm-hmm. or 26, I wouldn't have been equipped to handle it and to, to, to capitalize on it and to make the most of it. And, and so that, that sort of helped me make peace with what is essentially you know, we're in the failure business. Yeah. No matter how good you are, you have more scripts, far more scripts that don't get made than do. For, far more ideas that you have that never sell than do. So you just have to get comfortable with with uh, rejection is most of the job. Yeah. But, you know, it only takes one or two to, to sneak through. I mean, I was on, um, I was actually on a podcast last night, a uh, sports one, and one of the things that I realized over the years was that you know, I was so focused on the process, man, that I didn't enjoy any of the progress, right? Yeah. Any of the small victories. And you get you get almost numb to that, man. And yeah. so, you know, when you're talking about finding those wins, man, you know, those good conversations, those those pats on the backs, those words of affirmations, I mean, I think to a degree everybody needs that in order to keep yeah. it moving, man. And um, it seems like, I mean, you, you know, four years, I mean, hell, to, to me, that does, it seems like a while. But in that space, again, what we're talking about is a, a totally different sense of reality, you know? Yeah, well, when you place it into the context of your life and your career, it's not yeah. it's right. not a while. It's just a while when you're living it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. But yeah, and, and it's, it's also one of those things, you know, I, I often have a hard time because of enjoying success because you're so focused on well, what's next. Yeah. You know, it's like, all right, I made kingdom, but you know what? That's, that's gone. That's gone now. What's next? It's kind of, it's kind of been an interesting experience having kingdom really come back and quite honestly have a much larger platform right now. It's being watched by more people now than it ever was when we were making it because right. of, you couldn't find it before, but it's, it's kind of been eye opening for me and, and 
really positive because I'm now able to like actually enjoy uh, the what, what I made, you know what I mean? And and look back on that time in my life, which was, you know, four and a half years of seven days a week uh, work where I was at the office every day for seven days a week for four years or on set. And, um, you know, the process of making shows so difficult that sometimes it's hard to, to, to take a moment and, and realize, you know, this is, this is great. Um, so it's been really, it's, it's, it's been a lesson to, to just be able to relive it a little bit, you know? Well, and I think that's the beauty about what you made, um, you know, to agree, because all of this is art, right? And so like anything, whether it's, you know, master crafting some wine, whether it's looking at a piece of artwork, you know, hopefully it ages gracefully. And I think this is, you know, what Kingdom was, because you started the show in 14. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, for everybody that thinks that, you know, you write it, you film it, and it hits, you know, the stage. Like, it doesn't work like that, right? What was the process of changing hands from you writing the script to yeah. casting to everything else going forward? Well, it was a long process to get this show made because I got interested in the subject a long, long time ago. But every time I'd kind of talk about it, people's eyes would glaze over. Because this is way – this is – when I started thinking about this show, this is way before UFC became what it is and, uh-huh. and really broke into the mainstream. This was way back when – you know, it was a video cassette next to Faces of Death. It blocked up, right? Um, so every time I would talk about it, people would kind of know what it was, but they'd also be like, I don't know, it sounds kind of like lowbrow or something. So I, it was in my mind for years and years and years, and then I was driving down uh, Vine Street, which is a street out here, and looking at some billboards at TV shows, and I just thought, man, if – if I see a billboard about a show set in the world of MMA and I didn't write it, I'm going to fucking shoot myself. <laughs> so I went home, started working on it, started writing it. Just, just nobody paying me, just writing it. And finished it. It took a long time to get it set up. I, I did a bunch of other projects between now and then, and, and nobody wanted the show for a while just because of the subject matter. Um, and then – I was shooting a, a pilot for Warner Brothers and ABC, and I got a call uh, from my agent that said, hey, DirecTV wants to go straight to series and make 10 episodes of uh, Kingdom, which was called Navy Street at the time. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, it's my dream, but actually I'm stuck. I, I think I'm going to have to be making this show that we're shooting right now. But then that show, that pilot didn't go, so I went straight into Kingdom. So now we're into – all right, how am I going to cast this thing? Because it's a show about fighting, right. fighters, but it's really a family drama. So I can't just have a bunch of athletes, you know, who can't act doing the show. they got to be actors first. But how am I going to find actors that can handle the the fighting and the physicality of it? Because it's not like, you know, with fighters, you can't just, it's not, it's not just I'm in shape and I got big muscles. Yeah. I'm in all shapes and sizes. They have to... It's just about the technique and the way they can move and the, you know, the plan and the game within the game. But anyway, so we started the casting process and all of these guys and girls just came in and read and, and we were a very low budget show. So everybody was taking a little less money than they were worth. And so I found, I found the people that I thought were best for it and talked them into doing the show they were perfect. I mean, I mean dude, really, I'm telling you. really cast. I mean, I I can't see. Like, I've been trying to envision the only person I can see 
playing where Frank Grillo is playing is the guy who also plays Punisher, you know, literally. Maybe, maybe, but, but Frank, I mean, it's, I can't even imagine. I mean, when I see Albie, I see Frank, you know what I mean? It's like, and all of these, all of these actors, you know, that's the biggest, uh, that's the biggest kind of unknown and, and, uh, thing you sort of have to luck into when you're making a show is cast chemistry. And we, Everybody just on the show just had so much chemistry, and that's just something you can't plan for. Yeah. You just pray to God it's going to happen, and it did. And you know, I often think about, well, God, who's like, who's my second choice for some of these people? And it just falls off a cliff because you can't imagine anybody else in these roles. I mean, and, Jonathan Tucker. I mean, holy oh, shit! Yeah. yeah, he's awesome. Uh, wonderful guy, a dear friend, a neighbor. But he, you know, every, he, everybody. And in, in, in including Tucker just poured everything into it in terms of training, in terms of, you know, putting themselves into the role. You know, I would talk to the cast all the time. We'd talk about our lives and we'd get it into the show. And, you know, I think I think just writing and making the show was cathartic for a lot of us, you know. Yeah. A lot of life was lived during the, the four years we made that show in terms of, you know, people losing loved ones, children being born. Yeah. You know, you know trials and tribulations of people's lives you know it's a family it's real people making a show right as you're grinding through it so it's just a part of your life i mean the my favorite parts of the show were when frank would be in the process of and i don't know if he was speaking to a therapist you know i couldn't tell if he was speaking to a crowd but it was he was speaking uh, in a dialogue as the show was going on, bro. And I thought it was the most beautiful sound bites because I felt every piece of it. I mean, at one point I teared up, bro. I got a whole page of, of notes over here over things that he said that I felt like I went through myself. And so the fact that you could identify with each of them within this, you know, is that something that you, did you know that you were going to get that type of response as this was going on? Or you were just like, you know what, let's give people, the most real sequence of what we understand to be true as much as possible and let them do it. Let them see it from there and just call it a day. Yeah. I, I think it was really, cause you can't, you know, you can want an audience to feel something, but everybody takes something different. Like that probably hits you in a very specific way that it might not hit somebody else mm-hmm. because a whole part of Frank slash Alvy's journey was uh, letting go of his old identity as a mm-hmm. fighter and trying to figure out what his new one is, you yeah. know, the transition from athlete to what's next or athlete coach, it's not natural for everybody. And in fact, when you're, when you're a fighter or an athlete, it's all about you. When you're a coach, it's all about them. So it's really hard to, 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 it seems like an easy transition, but in fact, they're, they're sort of diametrically opposed, but so much of the show was for, for all of them, but particularly Alvi was dealing with, mortality, identity, where do you fit it in the world? Who do you love? Who loves you? And, you know, uh, how do you, how do you, what do you owe the people around you? Yeah. You know? And that was something that he really, he really struggled with. And, you know, I think a lot of people do. I do. A yeah. lot, certainly. So I just, I just wrote it as honestly as I could. And, you know, he just delivered it so beautifully. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm not saying I'm going through a crisis right here, but sometimes I'm going through a crisis. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I have difficulty in the transition from, you know, and, and sometimes even being here, bro, like living here and being reminded every day. Like I'm, and I'm thankful that people are appreciative of the things that I, 
I've done, but it almost feels like Groundhog Day. It feels like, you know, everybody's telling me that the, the things I've done best are behind me. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. you know, as Alvi's talking in this show, man, like I just, I feel all of it, but not just for me, but for all the relationships that I have with other guys who are transitioning from, from, yeah. from, from playing to general society or from military vets who are accustomed to being a part of team or something greater than them and transitioning into the civilian space. Like it's, it's such a, a real conversation that men fail to, to, to have these conversations because of the vulnerability within that, you know? Yeah. And you're mourning, you're mourning a death. You're, you're mourning a death of your old life. You're, you're, you're mourning the loss of your comrades, your, your team, your, your, your brotherhood, the people around you, that community, uh, to a much quieter sort of like, all right, I'm just a guy out here now. I mean, like, where's, it's it's a really really difficult thing. I mean, I think soldiers deal with that a lot. Where it's yeah. like, you know, war's hell, but in a lot of ways, it's the biggest most important thing they'll ever do. Surrounded yeah. surrounded by their brothers and sisters, and that kind of bond. And then you come back to regular society where it's kind of, you know, the tribe's gone and it's every man for himself, sort of. Uh, so, so that was a lot of, you know, I, I, identity was a big part of the show. And struck, and all of the characters struggling with that, uh, and families, and how they're made and unmade, and things like that. You know. Well, and tell me about the casting. For, well, first off, Ryan Willer. I want to get to him in a little bit too, because he was he was explosive in it. Mm-hmm. Um, just the the struggles and the screams that he would do with with no auto audio. You know, just yeah. you could see the rage building up inside him, like it was it's amazing. But Nick Jonas. Mm-hmm. In this, I forget that he's a singer. I yeah. mean, he, he performed really, really well, man. And, mm-hmm. you know, how did that relationship work? Is that something that he was trying to break into? Did you know somebody that was connected to him and say, hey, let's, let's yeah. let him read real quick and see if he works? Yeah, so, <clears throat> so the story with Nick, this was before – this was in a period before his band w- broke up, more quiet. And, you know, he was – he was trying, he was sort of figuring out what's the next step in my life. And he, and he wanted to get into acting. Um, but so, so his, you know, we were casting the show, his agency called to see if we would read him. And, you know, I'm making a show about fighters MMA, which is already like, I'm already nervous. You know, I have a lot of contacts in that, you know, I had made a lot of contacts in that world. I was trying to be as true to it as possible, but you know, there's always an element of like, here comes Hollywood. Just you know, they're gonna just yeah. screw up, fuck up our 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 world, and <laughs> show it right, and make it blah blah. blah. So, I'm in my head, I'm going like, okay, the Jonas Brothers MMA show, like it's gonna, that's what the headline's gonna be. And so I was reluctant, and then, and then I was like, okay, he come in and read. And then as soon as he walked in the room, I was like, okay, number one, I didn't. I guess I don't didn't know who he was. I just knew who the Jonas Brothers were because I was a little older, so I wasn't really listening to him. And he came in, and he was so uh, quiet, humble, and just had this kind of thing about him that I was like, all right, this is interesting. So he read, and I'm like, fuck, he's good. I'm in trouble. I might have to cast this guy. Yeah. And, and I brought him back to read with Frank to sort of see some chemistry between them. And they were awesome. And I was like, I don't care who he is. He's the best guy. Wow. Let's do it. 
and he turned out just to be phenomenal. And he played that character so well because Nick himself, the guy, has such a a sort of deep internal kindness to him. Like he's just a genuinely good man. And he's also a star. And so he can really hold a quiet performance but make it captivating. Yeah. And he, I just thought he was phenomenal. He was perfect for the role. And then as we were making the show, he started – his, he started his solo career and that blew up and now he's kind of, you know, you know what he is now. Yeah. They're huge. But, uh, but he was just, he was just perfect for the role and he, and a f- fantastic actor and, you know, it was a blast. And, you know, for the people who haven't seen the, uh, Nick Jonas plays Nate Kalina, yeah. uh, son of Alvy, but the younger brother of Jay and, mm-hmm. you know, Jay and Nate's um, ability to, be internalized and want to struggle, but yet view the world completely different is is mind boggling. And I think it's a true story of of family members, you know. Yeah, brothers, man, that's brothers. I mean, it's you know, me and my brother the same way. It's like you know, I can't. I'm like, well, why don't you see it the way yeah. I see it? You know, yeah. it's just you know, yeah. it's just it's different. You know, you grew up in the yeah. same house and and you see the world completely different. But you know, within it's like I didn't feel like I was watching the show. I, I really didn't, man. Um, well, good. I mean, that was that was sort of the the our ethos for the show was like it's got to feel like people are living it. Like we right. have to be, we have to feel even the way we shot it. It's like we we never wanted to feel like we're we're just watching something at a distance. I want to feel like you're sitting there in the room or you're walking into the room with them and you're, you know, it's your family kind yeah. of thing. So, <laughs> well, all right. So the how long did this process take to write this? From season, because you got season one, you got season two, you got a petition going out here right now. Yeah, yeah. trying to get season four. You know, you know, it, it was different. So season two, we ended up doing twenty episodes, but they aired as two different seasons. So I actually think of it as uh, two yeah. different seasons, but it was on the same production cycle right. for business reasons. So for that, for example, I wrote twenty scripts in nine months, which was like just brutal. Damn. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. but that was the schedule, and that was that was what it w- was required. Um, so, you know, the first season was 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 not bad. We shot it pretty fast. We shoot two at a time, um, so we shoot two episodes at once. So one day you might be shooting a scene from episode three, and the next day you're shooting one for episode four. Right. Um, uh, so we shot we shot fast. Our production was quick and lean. And so we made the show fast and not that much money, but we used it all to our advantage because we really, it allowed us to have a really more cinematic kind of, uh, I, I call it like a polished verite kind of look where it's, it's, it's not documentary. It's a little more polished than that, but it feels, it right. feels, it feels more real. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. To answer your question, it, it was different kind of from season to season, but the one thing that wasn't, that never was different. It was a constant stream of work for like yeah. four and a half years. Well, and as a leader, can you, can you, can you break down to me? Because it's very much like, whether you're the CEO of a company the head coach of a football team, basketball team, whatever it may be, you know, as the leader, as the creator, the executive producer, finding yeah. ways to manage all these personalities. Yeah. So that they're all taken care of. Yeah. So, so I was a showrunner on the show. So that means I did exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. On the show. Um, a lot of different personalities. The way that I would sort of handle it 
is listen to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then make just make decisions. You have to make decisions. You can't you can't push off decisions. You can say I don't know, let's figure it out. I think that's a good thing to do. Yeah. But you can't you can't avoid responsibility or decision making. So because everybody's looking to you to do their job. Right. So as soon as you make a decision, you may make the wrong decision. You can go back and correct it, or you can say, ah, that was the wrong decision. But make the best decision you can and try to do it in a timely manner uh, so that so that everybody else can do their jobs. And, you know, you build a team with people that are the best at what they do in the world. You know, right. the, the woman designing our sets, Maria Queso, an amazing production designer. You know, she, she did Deadwood and all oh, these other kind of shows. Cool. You know what I mean? So it's like make decisions and, and, and give her guidance and so she can go do her art. Same with the costumer and, and hair and makeup and the, the, the director of photography and everything like that. So it's about, you know, and then with the actors, you know, they're, they're the ones that are the most really important at the end of the day because it's, yeah. it's them in front of the camera. So I, I really tried to make sure they were heard and listened to and um, felt like I had control of the narrative and and the production so that they felt safe to do their work. Because if they feel like a production's out of control or the, or the story doesn't know what it's doing or, you know, or whatever, it's a, it's a scary place for an actor to be because it's, it's their face on camera and they got to sell this. Yeah. So I was, I would always make sure that, that we were in co- talking and in conversations. And if they had questions, I'd explain to them what, what I was thinking and then get their feedback also. Like, you know, a lot of times they would have a great idea that we would put in there. And, um, you know, you just got to give people room to create and keep the production organized on time and on budget so that when you are on set, you can make adjustments. And that's like a lot of times where the real creation and magic happens, which is like letting an actor go off a little bit and like come up, you know, kind of riff a little, come up with a better idea, you know, change a location from this to this, you know, whatever it is that you got to be free to create, but you can't do that if the rest of your production's in chaos. Yeah. No, I was, I was, I laughed a little bit because, um, you know, when you're saying that on budget, on time, I, finally rented the disaster artist like a month ago <laughs> and it was everything but that you know but you know it, it was still a it was still an awesome ass you know script in its own right um yeah well and when you're when you're when you're on budget and on time and uh the studios and the network give you more room because they trust you you know like Mostly through the show, I wasn't really get, I wasn't getting notes. I wasn't giving them outlines because they 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 knew that we could do it, and, and the show was humming along in the way that it that it needed to. So it it, it works out for me because I get to make the show I want with a lot with without any outside interference. For sure. But I wouldn't I wouldn't get that luxury if if I had an out of control production because you start burning money and somebody's going to show up on your set and say. <laughs> this isn't going to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was looking, um, cause obviously you're, you're the creator, but in, in, uh, something that I was reading, it says that you are also the producer, right? And is that not the case all the time? Can you be the creator, but not the producer? Well, generally, generally the creator will be an executive producer, but a lot of times perhaps a less experienced creator will get paired with a, a showrunner, yeah. an executive producer who's done it before because, 
it's a big job. I mean, you're managing 250 people in a, you know, a $80 million budget or whatever. Yeah. But, um, so it's not always the case, but that's the way you want it to work. Um, you know, I, I had been working for a while when I got this show, so I didn't have a sh- another person with me. So it was just me at the top. But had I not done anything before, they might have paired me up with somebody else to just just to help me get you know get going and figure out how a production works. Because you know, a lot of times you're taking you're taking a, a a man or a woman who's a writer who's never managed anything, and suddenly you're putting them in charge of a giant production and the wheels come off and it sure. goes down in flames, you know, cause they're just not trained or equipped for it. Well, I would assume that that could, uh, in a sense, create some hostility too. like, say you were like, you contributed to more shows than you were actually the creator of, right? The yeah. writer. So you wrote, and is it tough um, for you personally, when you write something, you have this vision for it and then you see them not act that out. It was. So when I, when I ver when I my first gig, it was tough because I was like, I got all this stuff to say, man. I think I'm a better writer than you, and I cannot believe you you like rewrote that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean that's what I was feeling. I was smart enough not to right. you know say that. As I as I got on and I started getting more experience and realizing uh, what it takes to run a show, mm-hmm. and starting to understand that we're when you're on the staff of a show as a writer that and it's not your show, you're not there to serve your vision. You're there to serve the vision of the show. Mm-hmm. So then I started just saying, you know, getting to the place where I'm like, I, like I'll, I'll, I write the best script that I can for the show while I'm on staff. But ultimately if the showrunner wants to change it, he or she can change it. It's yeah. their show. Right. Um, and so, so then no, that so then you just lose that little that little ego that little pang to your ego goes away because that's not it, it's not about you, and also you, again it's always keeping your eyes forward, getting your ego out of the way uh, because that just slows you down, and understanding like I'm not here to serve somebody else's show forever. I'm here to create my own show. Yeah. So that's what I'm that's what I'm looking on the horizon to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you began with the end in mind. You know, knowing that, you know, to a degree, it's like, all right, everything that I'm doing is going to be a buildup for what I want to do later on. So you'll just, yeah. 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 You live in the present, but you got to also realize, like, this isn't the whole world. This is just, this is a, a, a stop in the journey, you know? That's awesome, man. You, uh, and so you met your wife out there. I did, yeah. Awesome. Where'd you meet at? A bar. Uh, I picked her up at a bar. I was, uh, <laughs> I was on a show and the showrunner, had gotten fired. It was a big deal. Myself and the and one of the other ranking writers had to go to the network and explain to them how we could finish the show. Yeah. Just driving back to my my I lived in a loft in Hollywood at the time. Just driving home and I'm like, ah, you know what? I need a fucking drink and drove to the bar right down the street that I that I, that I was a regular. And I knew everybody there at the bar. And she was she it was her first night working there, and so I was introduced to her and she was beautiful. But I was like, you know, not thinking about it. So I sat down at the bar, talked to my buddy who was the bartender who actually uh, plays Mac on the show, the redheaded guy. Come on, man. Yeah. yeah. So he was the bartender. So he and I are talking, and then a seat opens up, 
and this girl, Juliet, my wife, sits down next to me because she's off her shift, and we start talking, and then we're there until 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, then we started dating after that, and then she is uh, Shelby on the show, if you know uh, the oh, girl. She, yeah, Shelby's yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the wife and the mother of my kids. In <laughs> fact, the baby that's hers and Max is my first daughter. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. Yeah. yeah. So, I was, was going to ask you about Shelby. I was like, you know, is she going now? Nah, are you going to put her in more, give her more opportunities? Or what? She did a good job, man. Yeah, she's awesome. And she was great. She's perfect for that role. Hell yeah. I mean, if, if especially if Kingdom comes back, Shelby will be there. You know? Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, we've been together 10 years now, and um, she's just, just a hell of a woman. No, that's super dope. Mac was Mac was awesome, man. Just the uh, – and, again, I'm not trying to give, give away more than you guys have seen, but, you know, Mac is – uh, he's the pharmacist on the site, you know, he's the doctor. Yeah. So he makes sure everybody's taken care of, you know. Friend, nurse, drug dealer. <laughs> man. Oh, man. Um, all right, the setup, um, everything's shot in L.A.? Everything's shot in L.A., yeah. Yeah. How do you – I always wanted to know, like, you know, you got the scene where uh, Alvy is running and he runs into the MS-13. And, yeah. you know, is that – do you got to shut the street down for that or is it just shooting midday? You kind of shoot midday. You shut, you shut down – like you shut down as much as you can, which is basically, I mean, you get, you have to get a permit so that you're shooting there, but you can't stop the public from, you know, being there. Yeah. Uh, unless you just a massive film and you're just shut, you know, yeah. but for, for a thing like that, you get, you have PAs basically holding traffic being like, Hey guys, can you hold here for a second where people could just say, fuck, you know, right. but generally people are like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And then you and then you shoot. You know, you kind of run and gun it through there. All right, and uh, all right. So you know, Shelby is your wife. Yeah. Mac is a friend. Yeah. Joe Daddy is Joe Daddy. You know him too. So I got I, I got to know Joe Daddy because my first my first contact and real consultant was a guy named Greg Jackson, who's coaches John Jones. He's sort of like the most famous MMA coach. Uh, kind of revolutionize the game. He's out in Albuquerque. So I would go out to Albuquerque and stay with Greg for a couple of weeks and pick his brain, hang out in his gym, you know, watching John Jones spar, and Cowboy Cerrone and all these guys. Um, and so he was he was our tech tech advisor, but he is in Albuquerque. And he's like, he introduced me to Joe because Joe's out here in Los Angeles. So we got to know Joe who just turned out to be just just the sweetest, kindest dude in the world, fantastic teacher and coach. Yeah. So Joe really took the actors in and, and put them through MMA boot camp. And then the actors were training all the way through the show, but really broke them in hard and intensively. And so we were like, dude, we need Joe on set all the time. So we'd have Joe on set, and the gym would be populated with real fighters because there's a ton of fighters in in. Los Angeles. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, we kept it, so, so by virtue of that, we just could keep it as as real as possible. So it's like nothing in the gym is is thing uh, something you wouldn't find happening in the gym. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I took um, and I was so intrigued by it uh, simply because you know obviously I remember seeing Never Back Down and hella cheesy, but I thought the movie was awesome. Um, but then I took Jiu Jitsu myself for six months. Um, and was really working on the ground and pound. And it's a, it's a hell of an art, too. Um, the one thing that I loved about it more than anything else is that it was, it, it was very reminiscent of life, right? Like you're, 
you're in a in a hold or you're in a choke and you know, in your mind, you're like, there's no way out of this. And the instructor will come up and say, hey, do this, this, and this. And this yeah. is how you escape, you know. And so there's always an out uh, until yeah. there's not. And I think that's what I loved about it. But the the MMA circuit is really surprising. So when I finished up at Clemson, I trained out in Boca, right, at the spot called XPE. Mm-hmm. Right next to us, uh, like Rashad Evans and Alan Wilson come in there, but right next to us was the JACO, the JACO Center. And so they would come in there and they would shoot, um, you know, Black Zillions, ATT, the whole deal. I'm talking to, you know, the cut man over here, and he's explaining to me and pointing out who's who. And, you know, I'm looking at this guy over here who's 5'4", and he's like, look, he'll put anybody in uh, a hold and, and put him to sleep in 15 seconds and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, damn, you know. So you start to realize how complex these movements are, and that shit's tough. Yeah. It's a, t- it's a grind, you know. And so looking at those guys and the, and the cuts and the weight loss and, you know, just the, the, the way they handled adversity, like, again, it felt very real the whole way through. So Oh, it's, it, it was, man. And, like, there's a ton of injuries. Tucker got, you know, there's a fight Tucker has in the beginning, his first fight we see in the show. Yeah. Uh, he took an elbow from Jay Haran and gashed his eye open. Joe Daddy put rubber cement and closed it up, and we finished shooting and then took Tucker to the hospital to get uh, all these stitches and plastic surgery. Um, tons of injuries would happen. You know, these guys, it's really, it's really, when you're shooting those sequences, like, shit happens, you know. Yeah. I do um, got a question, though, about one of the scenes. Okay, you roll, and I'm sorry, look, this is just a spoiler alert. Yeah. Where the hell does Alicia go after Ava's whole deal? Uh, in an alternate, in an alternate world. Right. In an alternate world, she goes. She goes out to train with Greg. Yep. In Albuquerque. Yep. Um, and blows up, and then we. See, then if there's a new season, she'll definitely be back. You know. Well, it looked like you were ahead of the curve. I just saw that the uh, UFC signed with Venom. Uh, yeah. Girl company, and Venom was was the title sponsor for all of the gear. Yeah, they made our shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Just I got a ton of people asking me where they can get those shirts now. Bro, we need, to, we need to start a, a shop online. I buy a Navy Street MMA shirt tomorrow, bro. Yeah, I should. I should figure out how to do that. I, I don't know what the rights are to all that, but I think I don't know if Venom still has them or not. But Venom should start making those again. Yeah, shit's fire, man. Well, what's on the horizon, man? What's next? I mean, dude, everything's everything's frozen now, right now, because you can't shoot. So, well, let's, uh, talk, let's talk about that. You know, what does your space look like now since? For the foreseeable future, we're going to be in quarantine. Again, I, we're talking about living in the present time with uh, the end not in sight whatsoever. Like, we don't know when this damn thing's going, uh, yeah. when normalcy is going to come back. Yeah. Uh, and, and I can tell you, man, like, it's the first time in my life that the really smart people I know in this business really don't know what, yeah. what the future holds, what's going to happen. I mean, I know uh, certainly all, everybody's pushing towards starting production again. Um, but it's kind of like one of the, it's one of those things. It's probably like college football. It's it's like okay, I think we're gonna go do this, but we don't know what's gonna happen, and if you're gonna have to shut it right back down, and you know everybody will be safe, make protocols. But you know, my life right now is you know I got I have two scripts ready to go uh, for two different shows, but again, we gotta wait and see sort of what the business is sure. doing. And in the meantime, I'm coming up with more ideas and, and stuff like that. I'm in a deal at a, I'm in a three-year deal at a studio right now, um, where I'm exclusive to them, and um, 
to develop shows and stuff like that. So, well, and how did this, um, all right. So, cause it was the audience network. Yeah. Okay. Which doesn't even exist anymore, by the way. <laughs> so this, this, this kingdom, this show was just sitting there in the cloud. We'll just use the cloud. All right. Netflix. How does this negotiation happen? Because it's Netflix, not just in the, in America, but it's global, right? So this is, this is just the kind of, boring convoluted side of the business but basically what happens and why why kingdom has been so hard to find for all these years is that back in the day when we started making kingdom was when everybody started realizing if you want to survive you need content all these cable companies and and everything like that we need to launch everybody needs to launch what you're seeing finally getting launched now these hbo max disney plus direct tv was a massive company, but you know, they needed to figure out a way of like, how do we stop cord cutting? We need to, we need retention. We need our own content. Let's start our own network. Yeah. So because of that, we were sort of their, their first show and they didn't. So anyway, so we made it again, not a lot of people know, knew about the network. They, they didn't do enough press. I mean, I'm eternally grateful for them for, making the show, but like they didn't promote it properly. It just takes a ton of money to do that. And they, I think they were kind of like, we want to do this, but we're not ready to get all the way in, whatever. So there's a, there's something called the SVOD rights of a show, which is, is when a show gets sold, the streaming rights. So that's why a show that was on Breaking Bad was on AMC, but then they sold to Netflix. Right. Streaming rights. So, but direct TV wanted to launch their own thing. They didn't want the show to go on Netflix because they did, at that point, Netflix was making their own show. So people were confused. Is this a Netflix show? And they would just stay on Netflix. They wouldn't come back to, yeah. to their network to watch it. So they bought, DirecTV bought the SVOD rights from the studio for like nothing and just tied them up for years. Over that time, their plans kind of changed. They merged with Time Warner uh, and Netflix our show just got kind of lost in the shuffle, but the rights were still tied up. Pandemic hits. Uh, and, and, and they've been, we've been sold all over the world in little pockets, but nothing like a platform to Netflix. So pandemic hits, everybody's burning through content, you know, you've watched everything on Netflix. Yeah. And um, an agent at, at CAA, Frank's agent was like, kingdom should be on Netflix, damn it. And so he just called, and then it turns out the rights for our show had finally all become free like a week before. Yeah. Got a hold. They, they started talking. They made a deal in like a week. I, it was so fast. I didn't even know what was happening. So in a week? So I, yeah. They, so they made the deal in like a week. So I didn't even know what was happening until, until like the day it closed. Somebody, right. somebody told me. And I was like, awesome. Because well, it's just, just, it, now it's on such a bigger platform. For sure. Do all of y'all get paid for that for being on Netflix? Um, well, I, you know, I, I own a piece of the show, but I don't see a dime until the show becomes profitable and they can, they can, uh, they can, they can do all kinds of accounting to make a show look like it's never profitable. So I don't expect to see any money, uh, for a while if I ever do, but the, I'm just grateful it's all, it's somewhere where people can watch it right now. I mean, how did you, how did you find it? How'd you hear about it? Cause there's no promo. They just like plopped it on there. 
No, yeah, I know, and that's the thing. Like, I, you're starting to see it trickle a little bit more with with people who have watched it, um, and it's starting to like Twitter. You know, the people that are on that are like, yeah, if you haven't seen Kingdom, check it out. No, I was just I watched everything that Netflix has has to offer, literally, bro. Like, I I was like, damn, I need something new. Um, and I watched the first episode. Like, I just saw it up there. I popped it on the first episode. I was like, all right, you know, cool. And then I found myself like driving. Getting a haircut, bro. Throwing it on my car, you know. Watching the whole thing. I watched the whole thing in like five days, bro. I binge watched the hell out of it. It's unbelievable. Um, but again, I think it's one of those shows where, you know, in a, in a way, uh, kind of almost innocently, it pulls you in and it keeps you there. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's gripping uh, to say the least. But you know, you know, when you look in the IMDb ratings and the Rotten Tomatoes, I try not to look into all of that simply because there there are movies and shows that I watch that I believe were really good that get shit ratings, but you guys yeah. got the ratings up there. So I yeah. think, I think, um, I think now, you know, with anything, I think people are the drivers for all things being pushed from a marketing standpoint, you know, whether it's influencers, whatever it may be, like the fact that people are interconnected through the social web right here is what drives anything, man. And I think kingdom is just, this is just the beginning, you know, and, and it's so crazy because, you know, you talk about your process and how long this journey took, for this particular show, for this portion of your book, this show is going to take off to another level, you know, so it's exciting. Well, I mean, I, I sure hope so, man. It's funny because, you know, you don't – I don't know what's happening out there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, I can tell anecdotally just social media-wise people seem to be watching it and catching on, but I, but I don't know if it's, if it's going to burn out or if it's going to catch fire. You just can't – you can't tell, but you know, I mean, the fact that you found it, watched it, and finished it is is awesome and gratifying. So, you know, hopefully it keeps it keeps going. I mean, that it it really has been, like you said, it's just been myself and the actors pushing it out there, and, and you know, hopefully, you know, if somebody tells two friends, they tell two friends, they tell two friends, and you know, ripple freeway and catch play these pay these people, man. No. Yeah. Yes. No. I, look, I'm just, I'm really like, I mean, when you reached out, I was, I was thrilled because I, you know, knew who you were and I'm like, well, here's a dude who I've known who this guy is forever. I have no connection with him and he found the show. That's awesome. You know? Well, you threw, when you threw Kirk Acevedo in there too, I mean, that threw me for a loop because you know, oh, yeah. he's, shit, he's playing in a bunch of stuff, man. So. I mean, I fell in love with that dude from like Oz way back in the day. <laughs> yeah. That, you know? <laughs> Yeah, he fit and he fit the role really well. I mean, it was kind of, yeah. I mean, like I just I, I felt dirty, like you know, oh, he was, you could you could feel him like just trying to trying to chime his way in there. But I was like, oh my gosh, man. Yeah, and that that's the type of dude though that shows up in these gyms, man. They <laughs> they, they do. It's a problem. That's crazy, man. Well, look, yeah. congratulations, man. I'm excited for your future endeavors, man. Um, you know, I guess in this time of of uh unknowing this, you know, there's there's clarity within that too. So I'm sure you're probably, you know, getting to a point where you know, you can you can spend time with the family, you can write, you can kick back, you can, you know, do things you thought you didn't have time to do for a long time. So Yeah. I'm like everybody, man. You, yeah. you, you sort of make peace with it for a few days, then you get hit with a wave of existential fear and dread about like right. where are we going and what the hell is happening. And then you see your daughters and you're like, All right, I love them. This is great. I get to hang out with them, you know. But, but you know, like everybody, I just want I want things to get functioning again because a lot of people are are 
losing a lot right now. Oh my gosh, man. I think, and that's, you know, we was talking about football um, a little bit before we came on. And, you know, the ramifications uh, are irreversible um, if things don't start to, to trend upwards, you know. Oh, there's going to be a long tail on this uh, uh, destruction. You know, I don't even think we know how it's going to really affect because there's just going to be some things that don't come back. And that's oh, really oh. hard. I mean, you know, I, I talked to some guys in the finance space and, you know, I mean, I, I don't dabble with the market too much, you know, but, um, you know, it's just like there was so much, there was so much given out, you know, we don't, yeah. you know, somehow it's got to be paid back, you know, yeah. it's just, man, I don't, I don't know where anything's going, you know. The one thing I do miss though, man, because uh, I go to a movie about once a week or I did, yeah. uh, literally, like I would. I didn't care what was playing. I really went for the popcorn. You know, that's my yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. And hopefully, again, right now, you know, with the with the youth, there are, there are, there's some geniuses out there, right? These kids are uh, intuitive. They understand, you know, ways to make this work. But streaming is bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. And, you know, I think finding ways to adapt and move forward in that industry with keeping people safe. Like, I, look, I know driving movies are a niche yeah, but you don't want movie theaters to go away. I mean, they're already suffering, and I, I, I worry this has just hit the accelerator on that. Right. But I love going to a movie. I love going to a movie in the middle of the day. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, bro. Two o'clock, you know. Feels like that scene in uh, Varsity Blues where they go to the strip club, don't know what time it is. But they come out, the sun hits them in the face, yeah. and it's like, oh, my gosh, what time is it? You know? Yeah, yeah I love that. love that. Uh, well, look, uh, I'm going to send you some Clemson gear, though, man. We can get you squared up. Here, hey, dude, tell tell the whole team to watch the show. Got to. Got get to. On. Tell Trevor Lawrence that he can repay me for not going to Georgia by watching <laughs> the show and getting into it. <laughs> I'm going to send him that, all right? Hey, yeah. Fire, appreciate you, man. Thank you for being on the show, man. And uh, I'm excited for everybody to watch if you haven't already. So let's keep it going, man. Yeah, man, I really appreciate it, Tosh. Thanks, bud. Thank you, B. Have a good day, man.